Open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would. The New Testament, the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3. Continuing in our series, we started last week talking about the challenge of Easter, or the, the new part of the series. What we're doing today is starting a series leading into Easter. The challenge of Easter and some of the ways that Easter challenges us. If you reduce Easter to nothing more than Easter eggs and candy, it's no big deal. But if you think about what it really is, it's a real challenge, not only to who we are, but to the task before us. And it does explain some things that, uh, that we have some problems with. I'm having some technical problems, so hold on. There we go. The challenge of Easter, Romans chapter 3. Uh, while you're turning to that passage, a little bit of information about the missions group that we're supporting taking up through today for Ukraine um, ministries in Ukraine. And you know we're giving money and directing our offerings to the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship that we have partnered with in the past. And they have been sending money to the place in Kiev. If you remember we had a mission there and it was destroyed in a bombing attack. And the people are still there but they're no longer in that location so they're what they're doing is now directing ministries small ministries there in Kiev but it's getting dangerous there so they're beginning to go in different places where the where the uh, uh, people are fleeing and so uh, there some of your monies that you've given has gone to field personnel in Spain and in Slovakia and in other places and you've seen the maps on the news and there are countries all around the surrounding area and we have missions in all of those places so just a little bit one family that was in Kiev is now distributing Ukraine relief fund to ministry partners in Kiev and western Ukraine for humanitarian aid and food and water and gasoline and yes there is some sharing of the gospel but you've got to remember, most of these are Christian peoples. Ukraine was a heavily Christianized nation. So even though we represent Jesus Christ and get that message out, what we're really trying to do now is just keep people alive. So we're feeding them. The bulk of monies is not spent on preaching, but right now on food and clothing and things like that. And later they'll have the preaching kind of ministries. In Slovakia, they're doing the same thing. And uh, you don't see much in the news, but 250,000 Ukraine refugees have gone to Slovakia. And then there are even uh, people in the area called Roma, which is again a, a neighboring location. And so we have missions there, spending a lot of money. And in uh, Roma, what they've done, have purchased a warehouse that will be a clearinghouse for aid. So in months to come, as people give, and you can continue to give, of course, through the church or go to cbf.com, cooperativebaptistfellowship.com, and you can give there directly and there will be a clearinghouse there and they're going to have a large warehouse of clothing and food and all those kinds of things and what they're trying to do is move a lot of the aid stations out of the bombing path or what they think is going to be the bombing path for the obvious reasons and you don't want to build a warehouse full of food and then have the Soviets take it out and so what they're doing is moving into all these small countries around and um, all those things and you just need to understand this is a a years long effort and there will be needs there forever or at least in the short term and so continue to pray give generously 
I can't think of a better place to give right now than to this aid cause. And uh, so I would encourage you to do that. Be in prayer for Ukraine, of course, and for our nation and others, for our leaders, that they would choose wide, wise courses of action, that those that have power would do the right thing, whatever that is. To be honest, I'm not even sure what the right thing is. You know, my gut reaction is to kill the bad guys. But that isn't always easy. And it isn't always the right thing to do either. And so we have to be careful what we do and how we say it and those kinds of things. So be in prayer for those that have power, that they would have wisdom and guidance and a sense of direction. As always, we pray. I'll give you a few moments of silent prayer where you're seated. And then I'll close and we'll look at this passage together. Romans chapter 3. Would you bow with me, please? Father, again, we thank you for your presence this morning and for this life that you have given us. Father, we are overwhelmed with gratitude. You give us food and clothing, this nation of freedom and privilege. We thank you for that. We thank you for working in our nation's history to overcome enemies, to organize, to plan, to function well for our government, however flawed it's enable us to have good lives. We thank you for that. We thank you, Father, for working in our nation's leaders over the years to not only allow the church to work, but to encourage it. Thank you for that. And Father, we thank you for this message of Jesus. You save us. You cleanse us. You guide us. You help us to rise above the fray, to be better than ourselves, to be better than our natural selves be our godly selves. Thank you. This morning we come to you asking you would be with us. In this nation we have many problems, political and racial and otherwise. We ask for guidance and wisdom. Help us, Father, to love each other, to lay aside those labels that separate us into groups. Help us to see ourselves as people, humans, Christians, Americans, and love each other. We pray that you would work in our world scene. You know the problems in Ukraine, in the Middle East, just all over the planet, the African continent. There is so much violence, corruption. The simple things are made difficult. Human life is cheapened and people suffer because of our sin. We ask for mercy and forgiveness. We ask for guidance to help, for willingness to share what we have with others, for wisdom to know how to do that, for hope in the future. As always, we pray for our soldiers and first responders and their families. Protect them wherever they serve. Use their efforts to bring peace and justice and to protect human life. Comfort their families in their times of separation. And Father, again, because we just see it on the news every day, we think of the hundreds of thousands and even millions who have been displaced by this war in Ukraine. Work as only you can. 
unite us to help we pray for the future there that you could bring a work of peace thank you father for always being there for us help us to trust you even when the news is bad in Jesus name we pray amen sometimes you see things happen, and the only reason they happen is because there is a central problem. You see it in TV shows. You see it in the news this week. You've seen it in the news every day for the last several weeks. We have this problem of Russia invading Ukraine. You know all the details. You know as much as I do about it. And we're beginning to realize that it wasn't because of Ukraine's provocations. It was because of one man's ideas, Putin, of course, Without demonizing him, we understand that as long as he is in control, there will be problems. We knew this was coming. People 10 years ago predicted that this would happen. And sure enough, it did. The problem isn't political realities. The problem is, is the nature of man, isn't it? People, powerful people, intelligent people, people of substance can be evil. And when they exercise that evil, they can destroy everyone around them. And it really doesn't matter what anybody else wants or what is good for the people. Sometimes one individual or one group of individuals can do something that will last forever and forever change human history. We're seeing that this week, aren't we? We want to change it. And the harsh reality is in, as long as one individual is in charge, things won't change. So we're faced with a reality that... It isn't going to be easy to fix. Today we're going to begin a series of messages entitled, The Problem and the Challenge of Easter. Easter challenges us. It's a nice story. When I talk to little kids in the child care about Easter, they think bunnies and Easter eggs and hippity-hopping candy. And that's okay for a three-year-old. But you know and I know that when you get older, that that doesn't work anymore. And Easter challenges us in a way that we may have never thought. So what we're going to do is talk about how Easter challenges us. And it confronts us with some harsh realities. And maybe even confronts us with something within ourselves that isn't very pleasant to hear. Our very first truth is simple. And you can see this on screen. The fall challenges us in our efforts to live decent and orderly lives. It's hard for us to get our lives together. I was telling somebody in the praise team today that I've always had a problem keeping my paperwork organized at home. I, I had boxes and shoe boxes and things like that. And I know some of you talk about shoe boxes and I've heard stories of how you do your financial paperwork and all that. And I've always been semi-organized. And of course you know what that means. Boxes and boxes and boxes of papers in my barn, in my shed in my closet, in the attic, in the basement. And finally, when my mom and dad died and I was the trustee of their estate, I was forced to organize. And I had to make a conscious effort. And I had to purchase some things. I had to organize some things. And then I had to throw away a whole lot of stuff. And then I had to get my act together. And I had to make a conscious effort because my natural self just wasn't working. And so I had to impose on myself this rigid discipline and if I didn't do that, it was all going to fail. And it was pretty hard for me to do that. Three years later, I still have everything in its place, a place for everything and everything in its place. And you know this, my life is easier 
because I have it organized. I don't have any more money, of course, but at least I know where I have is, is and all those kinds of things. You see, left to our own devices, if someone doesn't impose something from the outside, like structure or restrictions or rules, we will generally devolve and make a mess of things. Interestingly enough, that's what the Bible teaches. Do you know that? We were created. We were created with intellect and capabilities and moral ideas and God created us in his image and the way we feel is sometimes patterned after God's emotions and things like that and yet left to our own devices we fail in the creation story we have this story which is both history and parable history in that there was man and woman and they sinned in paradise and destroyed everything and it is parable also because in that story of innocent people becoming guilty is our story. Right? Every one of us was born a sweet little baby. Can you imagine that? Look in a mirror. Hard to believe. Someone was so happy to see you just the way you were. Naked and squirming and crying and you were the answer to prayers. You were what people wanted. You were innocent. You were pure. Your eyes were bright. Your voice was clear. You couldn't stand and it didn't matter because you were wonderful. And then you grew to become a sweet little toddler. You were still wonderful. Kind of a handful, but a toddler. And then you got a little older. And then the teen years kicked in and your mom and dad avoided you or hopefully locked you or locked themselves in their room away from you and so on and so forth. And you have been you ever since. And sometimes you do good things. And sometimes you are successful. And sometimes your relationships work. And then sometimes it doesn't work. And you're not so good. And you're not so successful. And sometimes you act and think and talk in a way that shames you later on. That's who we are. The fall is when we step away from God. It's that point in time when we as children make a decision to reject God's leadership. Religious people talk about the age of accountability. Generally 12 years old, but it happens for different people at different times. My sister was saved when she was 4 years old. Swears to this day, she's 68 now. Swears to this day she knew exactly what she was doing. 4 years old walked forward, stepped away from daddy in the pew, and walked forward and received Jesus as Savior. For other people, it doesn't happen until they're 16 years old, or 30 years old, or 50 years old. Duffus was a good friend of mine, good guy. Never saw a need for Jesus. When he was 75 years old, though, he said, Kevin, I need to talk to you. He was attending my church because his wife made him, and he made that clear. Good guy, wife was a good woman, she just drugged Delphus to church because she didn't want him to go to hell. And she had told him that for 50 years of marriage, and he just tolerated that nonsense, he said. Finally, he said, well, Kevin, and this was over coffee late into the night, just tell me what's going on. And I had a chance, and so we took the long way around, but finally got to the fact that people are sinners, that they need Jesus, and even good people need Jesus. And I told him, I said, now, Delphus, this is what you need to do. If you're buying into this and you recognize your sin, what you have to do is confess your sins to Jesus, ask him to save you, and commit your life to following him, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit, and you begin your Christian life. And he says, well, preacher, 
and he swirled his coffee around, he goes, I think I'll do that. And it was just that simple. So Adelphus, at age 75, recognized something that had dogged him all of his life. He was never a bad guy. But he was separated from God by his sin, and he knew that when he understood it. See, there's no one age when the fall happens in your life. You're born innocent and pure. And then somewhere along the way, you turn from following God as a child, usually. And you become a sinner, separated from God in your sin. So today we're going to read a passage of Scripture in Romans 3 and talk about how that works out and how Christians are trying to figure this all out. And you have to remember this, when we read the book of Romans, we're reading a letter to the Roman church. These people were Christians. Most of them were Jews who had gotten saved. Some of them were Gentiles, and that was the non-Jewish world. And they had gotten saved. They were all Christians. And they all wanted to follow Jesus, but it wasn't working for them. And they didn't understand. So Paul began to explain. So follow along with me if you would. Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Paul is quoting Old Testament passages. And that's in my Bible, it indicates that because it's all capital letters to show you that there's something different here. But these are passages of Scripture that everybody had known if they had been exposed to the Jewish scriptures. And most of these scriptures had been around for at least 500 years, some, many of them even older than that. And so there was the Old Testament message that everybody was separated from God by their sin. And it wasn't saying that everybody was bad. It was just saying that because of the way we are, we're sinners separated from God. And we do all sorts of things. So what I want to do is real quickly go through this list. And it's not a, a complete list. And the Bible, it doesn't give complete list of anything. So just quickly go through these with me. In verse 10, there is none righteous, which means everybody's guilty, both Jew and Gentile. Remember, he's talking to Christians. And he says, you're guilty of sin. Verse 11, none who understands naturally. We sometimes don't understand that we need God in our lives. We just grow up. And if we're not taught, something's wrong. All have turned aside in verse 12. All of us have heard something of God. We've gleaned something from somewhere. God was trying to speak and we ignored him. Verse 13, the poison of asp is under their tongues. Now he's starting to meddle. Talking about gossip here. Liars and gossips. They had those back in the day. We didn't invent anything like that. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Violence. People were violent. Murders, rapes, everything you can imagine. In verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. 
good people live without fear of God's judgment. They just don't know. And sometimes they know and they've rejected it anyway. What Paul is doing is saying, listen, Jews and Gentiles alike, whether they're in the church or not in the church, everybody is the same. And see, this is one of the problems that Christians have always had, is that we tend to think that since we're Christians, since we follow Jesus, we go to church, we've been baptized, we have the Spirit within us, that somehow we are better than anyone else. Some Christians don't hide that either, do they? We've all been around that Christian, male or female, sometimes pastor, sometimes not, and they really do think they're better, and they'll talk about those people who need Jesus, and those people who need faith and those people and that normally reflects something that's pretty negative because we understand that we all need Jesus we all need the cleansing that comes from only Jesus we all need God to do something in our lives because there's something within us that we cannot change it's a natural result of sin in our hearts on screen is this phrase, it's not my fault. Have you ever used that? Have you ever heard your child use that? Or your spouse? No testimonies, please. It's not my fault. It's the easiest way to get out of personal responsibility, isn't it? This idea of personal responsibility is difficult. In fact, as our culture's kind of gone overboard, we want to hold everybody accountable. And the typical response is, it's not my fault. I did this because of you. In other words, you made me do this. Your actions forced me to act this way, and so on and so forth. What we have to learn to do is get past this. It's one thing for my three-year-old granddaughter to learn to say, it's not my fault. We have time with her. For some of us, we're just about out of time, aren't we? To acknowledge who we are, to acknowledge that it is our fault, to acknowledge that the sin that is in our lives our unrighteous actions are the result of our choices. The crazy thing about this passage, Paul is talking to the good people. He's talking to people that already went to church. He's talking to people that were already saved. He's talking to people that had already been baptized. And they were the good people. And they were gossips. And they were liars and deceivers. And they were violent with each other in their relationships and in their businesses. And they were literally just like everybody else. And this is why he was drawing this distinction between Jew and Gentile and saying, listen, there is no distinction because we're all the same. Ultimately, the story of humanity is we all start pure and we all fall into sin. Like the prophet said, there is none righteous, not even one. So here's the connection with Easter, not the bunny part. Easter is the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. When I talk about the Easter story, I'm talking about the gospel. Jesus making his way into Jerusalem. Jesus sacrificing himself, allowing the Roman government to capture him. Jesus allowing them to beat him. Jesus allowing them to scourge him. Remember, he could have stopped this at any time. And Jesus allowing them to hang him on the cross. And then he died, buried, and three days later was resurrected. God brought him back from the dead. That's the gospel story. That's the Easter story. And the hard thing about the Easter story is that it was necessitated by us. 
Not them, sinners, us, sinners. We are all at least as responsible as anybody else. So we think about Vladimir Putin or some of those other people that make the news that seem to be truly evil and we understand that Jesus died for his sin. It may be hard for us to come to church and sit next to nice people and realize that Jesus died for their sin too. And when you walk through a room and there's a mirror and you look at your mirror, yourself in the mirror and you realize Jesus died for me too. You see that's the hard part of Easter that it had to happen because of me and because of you. Not just those people. Those people is us. That's one of the hardest things. One of the biggest challenges of the Easter story is the fact that we are all guilty sinners. Not necessarily bad people but there's just something in our life that needs fixing and no matter who you are you can't fix it yourself how many of you call yourself do-it-yourselfers anybody you kind of fix your own stuff some of you you've bought books at Walmart about uh, a dummy's guide to electricity or things like that and I have all those books and I just fit the dummy part and you know we try to fix everything ourselves. and I have found out the hard way that I cannot fix everything myself doesn't mean I'm ignorant, doesn't mean I'm untrained, it just means sometimes I need help. Whether it be a car or plumbing or electricity or roofing or talking to my wife or talking to my grandchildren. Talking to my grandchildren in particular, I knew, well, doesn't matter. Way too many emotions for me to make sense of. And I'm having to get help with some of this stuff. And I go to my wife and say, Tammy, okay, I think I messed up here. I said this. She goes, oh my gosh, what'd you do? And so she has to help me. And I've begun to realize that there are some things I cannot do on my own, even though I'm intelligent and capable and do all those things. Well, this is exactly what the gospel story teaches us. No matter who you are, no matter your capabilities or intellect or anything else, some things you can't do on your own. Still in Romans chapter 3, follow along as I read verses 21 through 28. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So the Easter story is both condemnation and hope. Condemnation because we are confronted by our sin. Jesus died for you and me because we deserve hell. We are worthy of hell. Good people. Separated from God by sin. Worthy of God's wrath and punishment. And yet... God doesn't want us to suffer punishment. God wants to help us. So, Paul explains some of these truths in this passage we just read. So on screen are these ideas. Salvation is a free gift. In other words, 
Jesus took care of it. This is the best way to understand it. God is a God of justice. He demands that crime is punished. You don't just let criminals go free. That makes for a messed up system, and you know that. Someone has to suffer the consequences. Jesus suffered the consequences of your sin on the cross. It doesn't matter whether or not we can understand that necessarily. But in the mind of God, this is the way it works. Somebody had to pay the price. Jesus stepped up and paid the price for our sin. You do not have to pay. You do not have to give money. You do not have to jump through any hoops to receive the salvation that is in Jesus. You only receive it. It really is free. Another thing, what God did in Jesus is a public display of God's work to save us. A public manifestation, Paul said. In other words, God could have done anything the way he wanted. Instead, he chose to do this through the cross because everybody saw it. There were no secrets in Roman culture about the cross. The crucifixion was a miserable way to die. It was a way not only to get rid of troublemakers, but to shame them. Because it was understood that if you hung on the cross, you were the worst kind of scoundrel. And if anyone believed in you, they were fools. So there was intentionality there. And Jesus confronted humanity in their wisdom in this public display. On the cross, Jesus said, I'm better. Jesus said, I can fix this. And God said, I am more powerful than you. Let me work in a very public way. And still to this day, it's acceptable to talk about Jesus' death on a cross. You know, sometimes in our sophisticated ways, we're kind of embarrassed about it. I think some of my Christian friends, some of my pastor friends, are a little bit embarrassed about the story of Jesus on the cross. And they don't talk about Jesus' shed blood and all those kinds of things. I think we have to. It's God's chosen way to save us from sin. One other thing, salvation is solely due to God's grace. Look at verse 28 again, if you would. Romans 3, verse 28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law just because of what God has done in his grace. God's grace means he loves you, he accepts you, and he will do anything in his power to save you. Your faith is a response to his actions. You can only respond to him. So this is the hope of the gospel. The Easter story isn't just a crucifixion. The Easter story is the resurrection. They go together. You can't have one without the other. And the scriptures don't separate those two. It is cross and resurrection. Cross and empty tomb. So when we go into the Easter season, we celebrate Jesus' death. We celebrate the fact that Jesus made the choice to save us. We repent of sin. We acknowledge our sin. And then we entrust our lives to the God who raised Jesus from the dead. And that's good news. The good news is God in his grace saves us from sin. He reaches down. He gives us an opportunity. And all we have to do is ask him to save us. No hoops. Nothing like that. I talked to a young man Thursday. And he said, Kevin, my life is a mess. He wasn't trying to be funny. He goes, I don't know what to do. So I talked to him and he didn't have any idea about literally anything. He was lost in every way. 
I can't fix people, but I know someone who can. So I took the scriptures out and I showed him, listen, this is the way this situation is. This is your problem. You're just separated from God by your sin. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person. But the God who wants to help you can't. And if you want him to, here's a way to do it. So I explained the gospel to him. He said, you know what? I think I'd like to try that. And so he stumbled through this prayer. We asked Jesus to save him. He didn't want me to do the repeat after me prayer. He said, I, I want to do this myself. And so he said this prayer, kind of rambled around, didn't know how to organize his thoughts. But ultimately he made a commitment to Jesus and asked him to save him. And folks, that is the glory of the Easter story. That anybody, when they recognize their need, can receive Jesus as Savior. On screen is a final passage of scripture. Read this with me if you would. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification, and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Every message is essentially an Easter message. We talk about the problem of humanity, and we talk about the hope that we have in Jesus, in every service, we have an invitation, a chance for you to respond. Maybe it's time for you to make this choice to follow Jesus the Savior. Maybe you just want to find out more about it. Maybe there's something in your life that you want to turn over to God in prayer. Let me encourage you to make that decision today. If you'd like to, you can come forward and talk to me and we'll go from there. And if we, if we sing this song, Nate, would you come and lead us? Amen.